I wanted to share that story of Bathsheba. Yes, it's a better story than the other Bathsheba story. That's not why we shared it. Um, what I like about that story is her ambition. She was ambitious. And when we read that story and understand that story, we kind of smile with her ambition. There's another story, though, in Matthew chapter 20 that we kind of frown on. It's a, it's a woman, and it's a woman who is ambitious as well. But we're not as excited about her ambition as we are about Bathsheba's ambition. And I figure that some of you in the room may have never read that story before. How many of you, that's kind of a new story for you? You've never heard that before? You can admit it. We're in church. You've, <laughs> you've already had communion. Confess your sins. Okay. So, so we, we look at one of those stories and we smile and we go, wow, that was like amazing ambition. But the other story that Jesus tells, we kind of, we frown. And so what's the difference? Why do we smile with Bathsheba's story of ambition? And why do we kind of frown when a mom comes up to Jesus and says, I like for my boys to sit one on your right, one on your left when you enter into your kingdom. So we we think ambition's good over here, but we're not real sure about her ambition, and we kind of frown. What, what's the difference between those two stories? Well, Jesus is getting ready to change the world. And anytime you get ready to change the world, you have to announce it in different ways, different places. Um, we saw that with Bill Gates years and years ago. Bill Gates comes on the scene, and he begins to announce he's going to change the world, which I think is kind of interesting. Bill Gates is still trying to change the world. Now it's malaria. He's trying to stamp out malaria in the entire world, and I think he's going to do it. The late Steve Jobs, when Steve Jobs came on the scene, and he had a different vision for products and how products could change the world, and that's what Apple's done. If you want to be a person who likes to change the world, those are the Apple products. Elon Musk is doing that right now. The guy who did PayPal, the guy that built Tesla, he's now trying to do it with batteries. And he's, he's convinced that he can change the world with, with batteries. Jesus is getting ready to change the world. And as he's getting ready to change the world, he's going to announce it in different ways. And I count four, maybe I've missed a couple. I count four times Jesus has given the same speech. Now listen to what he says here in Matthew chapter 20. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took the 12 aside. Now what's interesting here is there's other people around him, but he's definitely got the 12 guys. And he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, Jesus has said this about four times. Four times Jesus makes this statement, I'm getting ready to change the world. And I'm going to do it with my life. I'm going to ransom my life. My life will change the world. Nobody gets it. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised from the dead on the third day. Now, if you can predict your death and you can predict your resurrection, that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, that, that's, that's a game changer right there. And Jesus is announcing to everybody, I'm going to change the world. Nobody gets it except this woman. Nobody understands it except this woman. 
Nobody has faith in Jesus except really this woman. The very next verse after Jesus has said this now four times, I think she gets it. Look at the very next verse. It says, then, don't miss the then, means it happens like right next. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, she came to Jesus um, with her sons and kneeling down, she asks a favor. Look at the next verse, verse 21. What is it you want, he asked. Well, she said, well, you grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit one at your right and the other to left in your kingdom. Now, I I love this because I don't see this as a self-centered, selfish woman. I see this story as a woman of enormous faith, a little misguided, a little misdirected, but this woman sees something that nobody else sees. Now, how can she do that? Well, we learn more about her from the gospel of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 says this, many women were there watching from a distance. Now, this is like the very end of all things. It's all, this is the last chapter, the last sentence of the last chapter of even of Jesus's life. They'd follow Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. So there's a group of women who were there with the disciples caring for their needs. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Are they scrambling eggs? Are they cooking, are they cooking lunch? Are they doing you know, dinner? Are they carrying bags? Are they are doing laundry? I, we don't know. But there's a group of women, and this woman, this mother of James and John, she's one of the women who are there from Galilee all the way to the end, and they're caring for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother, that's our, that's our woman, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, tradition says her name's Salome, and tradition says she is actually the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Tradition claims that they're all cousins, that James and John and Jesus were cousins. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That'd be a great story if it's true. I don't know that. But I do know this from John chapter 19. Look at this, verse 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister. Now that's why they think it's this woman. They think her name's Salome, and they think that this is now the mother, uh, um, the sister of Mary. All right, so, so what happens here? Well, three times in a row, she hears this story from Jesus. She hears something that makes her think something differently. Now, I want you to just stay with me for another two minutes, and we'll make a little bit of application to this, okay? So here's what, here's what this woman hears three different times. Let's go to the next verse. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples. Now, when it says his disciples, again, these women are there. He had a kind of an entourage that are traveling with him. He began to explain that he must go to Jerusalem He's going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he will be killed and on the third day raised to life. Look, here's another time. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill him. Third day, he'll be raised to life. And the disciples are filled with great faith, right? Oh, they're all freaking out. Look at the next verse, the next section. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, in other words, when there's a new heaven, when there's a new earth, 
when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, about this time, this woman's getting it. Nobody else gets it. At this time, this woman, maybe she's an opportunist, but she sees something that nobody else sees. She begins to believe Jesus. She's watched Jesus feed 5,000 people with fish and bread. She's watched Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. She's watched people who were blind could see. She's watched the deaf can hear. The deaf can hear. And so all of a sudden, she's hearing Jesus saying, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. She gets it. Nobody else got it. She gets it. All those guys are going to sit on 12 thrones, and they're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is what she does. She goes to Jesus, and she asks Jesus, basically, can my boys have the two top cabinet chairs? Because she's assuming Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to get rid of all the Romans. He's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to set up a monarchy. And she's just asking for her two boys to be the two chief cabinet members. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's not a shred of evidence at this point that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. There's not a shred of evidence that Jesus is going to be able to set up a monarchy that Jesus or any of his disciples will sit on any of the thrones. There is no evidence whatsoever. And by the way, Jesus isn't the first person that's ever said this. Many different men tried to do this, and they were killed and murdered and martyred and lived a horrible life, and we didn't hear about them anymore. And so here's this woman, and she's sitting back there, and she has faith like nobody else. I want to talk about ambition for a couple of minutes this morning because you're ambitious and I'm ambitious and we ought to be ambitious. In fact, is Jesus against ambition? Is, would, would the conclusion with this story be that you should be lazy, that you should be a loser, that you shouldn't have any drive? that you shouldn't have any desire to build anything or make anything, that would definitely be the wrong conclusion to all this, wouldn't it? So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says through the next section. He says, well, you don't really know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Well, we, we can, they answered. Look at the next verse. Jesus said that you will indeed drink from my cup. In other words, you're going to suffer. And one of these boys named James... And according to Acts chapter 12, verse 2, he becomes the very first apostle that was actually killed for Christ. He had a sword run through him, according to Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And the other son, John, yeah, John's going to suffer. He's going to be exiled to the island of Patmos. And so both of her boys, they will not sit on a throne, but both of her boys will drink the cup. They will drink the cup. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left, it's not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. But make no mistake, Jesus is very ambitious. Jesus told this group when there was no church, no church buildings, no elders, no preachers, no organization, 
no institution. Jesus said to these guys at a place called Caesarea Philippi, he said, I'm going to build my church. And not even the gates of Hades are going to prevail against it. That's a tall order. Jesus said, from now on, from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. From now on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Oh, I want you to go into all the world. Yep, we're going to take over the world. We're going to change the world. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I want you to take over the world, and I want you to baptize. I want you to teach. I want you to make disciples in my name. Jesus is very, very ambitious. So let's talk about ambition for just another second. Aren't you ambitious? Don't you admire people who are ambitious? I mean, let's just talk about people that maybe we don't even like, okay? I mean, I don't know that if I had an extra ticket to the world, you know, this, this World Cup, the soccer, I mean, the, uh, the lightning game Wednesday night. By the way, I'm so stoked about the lightning. I can't believe we won again. We're in the Stanley Cup. And, and they could do it in less than seven games as far as I'm concerned. It gives me a heart attack. I'm at stroke level on game seven, aren't you? My gosh. But, but, but I don't know if I had an extra ticket that I would go, I'd ask Donald Trump to go with me, right? But, but, I, but I, I, when you think about some of these people who are very ambitious in business, the late Sam Walton, the late, the late Steve Jobs, the, 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 the uh, Bill Gates, the Mark Cubans, the, the, the guys who are the Elon Musk, I'm not sure that you like all those people, but, but don't you respect the, their ambition? Uh, Meryl Streep may not be your favorite actress. Russell Crowe may not be your favorite actor, okay? But in Hollywood, they have a reputation of being incredible workaholics. And, and, and they work hard. And, and again, you may not like them, but, but don't you have a, a certain amount of respect, you know, for those kind of, of people? Take, take coaching, for instance. Um, I hate that we lost, you know, Joe Madden l- last year. And, and whether you like Joe or not, I mean, he, he's a good coach, and, and he's going to do great, you know, with, with the Cubs. Coach K for, uh, for Duke or, you know, you talk about even, you know, Bill Belichick. I mean, whether you like Belichick or not, and by the way, next year when the Colts and the Patriots play, I'm going to have a fully inflated football up here on my table. <laughs> I'm just going to let some air out during the sermon, and, and I'll see if I can split the church over pro-patriots and anti-patriots. I, I think I can do it in one service. I think I can, I can split the church over that whole thing. I, I really do. Whether you like him or not, okay, I'm not going to give my opinion. Whether you like him or not, right, he's ambitious. He's ambitious. There's something within us that comes from our heavenly Father. That he's made you to be ambitious. And so you work really hard in school. And you work really hard being a great mom. And you work really hard at being a fantastic dad. And you're trying to build a school or build a business. You work really... What is that? That comes from God. All that comes from your heavenly Father. That drive and ambition inside of you to be something, to make something of yourself, it all comes from, from God. Look how he closes this out. Jesus tells us a few more things here. He says this. When the ten heard about this, they took it like real men, and they were happy. (laughs) I get confused on this verse. All right, look at the next verse. They were indignant. 
Jesus calls them together. I mean, time's running out. If I was Jesus, I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you still not get this? I mean, I'm about to die, and you guys are still arguing over who's the greatest. You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They talking about the Romans. You guys see the Romans. You see the Roman structure. You see the Roman authority. You've seen, you know, the Caesars. You've seen the centurions. But, and their high officials exercise the authority over them. Look at the next verse. But this isn't how we're going to roll. We don't roll this way. Instead, this is how we roll. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first really is kind of going to be your slave. Why? Because I'm the son of man. And I didn't come to be served. But I came to serve. And I came to give my life as a ransom for many. All right, so let's, let's, let's apply this now to, to your life. How does ambition how does all this kind of fit for you and for me? Well, first question is, is, is the Bible saying that we shouldn't be ambitious? No, not, not at all. The Bible's not saying that at all. I think what Jesus is saying is you ground your ambition. You ground your ambition in ways that can serve God and can serve other people. I think that's the point of the story. It's not that you shouldn't be more ambitious. In fact, I think you should be terribly ambitious. Why wouldn't we as believers be the most ambitious people in the world? We've got the most to live for. We've got the most to do. But you ground your ambition. You figure out a way. How do you ground it in a way where you can serve God and you can serve other people? I think another point of application for this is that we learn to integrate our ambition. I want to explain this. We integrate it. You know, we're always talking about balance and life. You've got to have balance and find balance. Well, I want you to think differently this morning. I want you to think integration. When we talk about balance, I don't know that you can live a balanced life. I don't know that you can work nine hours a day and read the Bible nine hours a day. I don't know that you can balance that out. I don't know that those of you that are in college or in high school, I don't know that you can go to school for five hours a day and pray for five hours unless you're a monk or something. Okay? I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can do that. So I don't want you to think balance, but I want you to think integration. And so you, you integrate the priorities of your life. And everybody in the room, you have three to five major priorities. Everybody does. Single, married, married again, it doesn't matter. Everybody in the room has three to five priorities that we need to learn to integrate. You can't work nine hours a day and study the Bible nine hours a day right? You can't spend nine hours praying during the day. Some of you probably need to, but you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't spend nine hours with your family every, every single day unless you're on vacation, but you can't, you can't do it. So, so you take your ambition, but you integrate the major priorities, God, family, church, community, work, school. You've all got four or five major priorities, and you take those then and you integrate them and you align them. So this is why as teaching pastors of our church, we're always encouraging you to start your day with God because that aligns your day with your heavenly father. One of the things that I do before I get out of bed, I've got 25 things every day that can scare me to death. I've got 25 things that if I think about them, they will freak me out. Okay? 
And so I start my day not with all those fears. I start my day with faith. Before I ever get out of bed, I start my day with trust. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I put fear in its place. I start with faith. I put fear behind me. And so I'm going to get out of bed now, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will what? He'll direct your paths. Well, do I want to direct my paths for the day or do I want him to direct my paths? And so again, maybe for you, that's not nine hours of prayer and Bible study. Maybe that's 15 minutes. But you align yourself. to So, so you're, you are an ambitious people. That's why I like this. I like being the, your pastor. We're an ambitious church. I mean, we're, we're stoked. The, I mean, the driveway that we're putting in is going to help us get more people on and off our campus, right? If we were not an ambitious church, we wouldn't care about putting extra ingress and egress here. The wedding chapel, we're going to change the world through the wedding chapel. The wedding chapel is just a tool. The building's just a tool. But we're going to take a stand for marriage. We're going to communicate God's plan A. If we were not a church that had ambition, do you think we would take a stand on marriage like this and try to communicate God's plan A to everybody in our community? We're going to change the world through the wedding chapel. It's just a building. So I think you should be terribly ambitious. I think you should be incredibly ambitious, but it's for the kingdom of God. So here's this woman, and this woman's ambitious. She's got some faith, and she's got some vision. And I like this story because how I see this woman is I see me in this story. I get some of it. I don't get some of it. I get some of it. I don't get some of it. She's got some spiritual insight. She's got some spiritual blindness. She's got some spiritual, you know, faith. She's got some spiritual, eh, it's still, still messy in her life. And isn't that you and me? Aren't we all in this room, honestly, living contradictions? I mean, all of a sudden, we'll have a little bit of faith, and then, like, something over here will just, like, freak us out, right? I mean, it's like Peter. He's so bold. He takes his sword and he cuts off the servant Malchus's ear. And he's got a middle school girl he's cursing at because she said, you too are one of those Galileans, aren't you? Isn't that you and isn't that me? And so we have a little bit of spiritual growth, but we've still got a whole lot of spiritual blindness. But we, we break through that and we, we get a little bit more growth and we grow a little bit more in our faith. And then we're over here and we still... I'm not not quite there. I'm not quite where I thought I need to be yet. And so I see this as us. I see me in that story. I think you're in in this story too. And so we we ground our ambition in serving God, serving others. So I I just want to close with with six questions. They're they're in your bulletin. Take your bulletins out if you would. And if you want to, this is just kind of more for you than it is for me. So I, I actually wrote these questions, and I thought about myself, and I tried to spiritually go through these questions. And so just kind of sit back and relax for a second and, and, and personalize this message. So here's the first question. Do, do I have ambition? I mean, am I lazy? Am I slothful? Or am I a go-getter? Because that's really how God made you. 
Do I have ambition? Number two, am I leveraging my ambition? This is a room filled with so much talent, so much money, so much skill, so much intellectual prowess and ability and acumen. This is a room filled with incredible gifts. Am I leveraging my spiritual gifts? Am I leveraging where I live? Am I leveraging my house and my car? Am I leveraging my time? Am I I leveraging? We were on vacation this past week, and I'm at the Bass Pro Shop. And again, I won't have time to tell. I know that surprises everybody in the room. I'm at the Bass Pro Shop, and I'm probably sinning in the Bass Pro Shop with all the idolatry. I'm looking at all in that. But the door opened, the window opened for me to share Christ with someone. And I, I, I just, it's who I am. Wasn't a job. Wasn't getting them to come to Harborside. They, don't, they live in Destin, Florida. It, 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 you figure out who you are. And you serve Christ with how he's wired you. How he's made you. You have a tremendous ambition. But leverage it for the king and for the kingdom. Number three, am I maturing? Babies are me-centered. You and I know 40-year-old men, 40-year-old women who are still babies. It's all about them, right? But as you mature, now don't poke anybody. That wasn't meant to poke anybody in the ribs. I saw that. I actually saw that. I'm I'm not going to look that direction. I'm going to leave that one alone, okay? Yeah, that that didn't go well. This, This is maturity, where life's not about you. It's not about me. Why do you think he gave you your gifts? Why do you think he put you where he put you? Why, why do you think you have such incredible skills? Am I maturing? So I use them for others. Look at the next one. Where am I doing this? Where, where am I serving God? And where am I serving people? I have a friend of mine at this church. He owns a business, and I think he's got like 15 employees. And, and he spends about half the day just walking around. He's the CEO. He w- walks around and he says, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? What can I do today? How can I serve you? What do you need me to do? What can I do for you? I, I realize he has that position, but I also am so impressed that he's not lording it over. He was in first service this morning. I didn't even use this illustration today. I want to embarrass him. But he's not lord, lording it over. He is serving them. Where am I serving God? And the last question is this. Where, I got two more questions. Where could I leverage my ambition more? What, what could I do more? Is, is there something I can do? And then here's the last question is this. How can I best serve? You know, I, I know God is putting those opportunities in front of you and me all the time. And we just listen. And we just observe. And we just fall through and follow through with that. So I want to encourage you today. I'm not having you sign up for anything. This is no sign up. This is, this is to change the course of your life. This is a principle, a philosophical principle up here as to how you will live the rest of your life. Now, 
wouldn't, wouldn't you be happier if you're serving people? Wouldn't your life have more joy if you were other-centered versus me-centered? Well, the place to start is always giving your life to Christ. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He goes to the cross. He served us on the cross. And so the place to always start is giving your life to Jesus. I think the second place to do it is in Christian baptism. We're going to do another beach baptism on June the 14th. What I love about baptism is, is you have to humble yourself. You have to surrender. Baptism is identifying with the greatest person and the greatest event in all of history, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So if you've never been baptized into Christ, why wouldn't you identify with the greatest event in all of history? So that's June the 14th. Go out to the guest service desk and sign up for that. But maybe today, God has spoken to you directly about some ways to serve and how you can serve better and how you can serve others. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. Would you all stand up and I'll close this in prayer. You gave your life for us. We can give our lives every day for you. We want to honor you and worship you. And we put all our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.